Welcome to Spinning Out. I'm your host, Josh Robbins. This is a podcast where we talk to artists about their favorite albums. Today, we're talking with Dylan Walkman of the band Dollar Signs. Dollar Signs released their most recent album, Hearts of Gold, earlier this year on Pure Noise Records. We talked about Gorilla's 2010 album, Plastic Beach, and about how nerd culture and anime became the dominant culture, but not without a fight. Okay, please check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod. We have a weekly series with my co-host, Sarah Blumenthal, where we talk about records from our past. You can subscribe for $1 or more. Also, while you're doing these nice things, go follow us on Twitter and Instagram, also at spinningoutpod, and tell a friend or just share our content. Don't forget to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Okay. Let's chat with my good friend, Dylan. Hey, Dylan, how's it going? It's going well. Just uh, got home from work. Sitting down in my office, excited to talk to you today. Mm, I'm excited to talk to you too. Uh, we're talking today about Gorilla's third album, Plastic Beach, that came out in 2010 uh, on Virgin Records. And so, what I'll ask is, when was the first time you heard Gorilla's or this record? So, the first time I heard Gorilla's, I had this babysitter who, <laughs> when I was maybe like seven or eight years old he took me to like up the public pool in my neighborhood and he was driving his mom's car he like just got his license and he had the gorillas g-size record in and i just have this really um this really vivid memory of him just saying to me these exact words he said this is what cool people listen to and i straight up just like never forgot that and uh I really looked up to this guy, so I believed him wholeheartedly, <laughs> and uh, I couldn't really get into that record when I was young because it's it's like a you know B sides record, and yeah. the songs are wildly um, you know all unique and not really like connected in like an album kind of way. But I was always intrigued with the with the group, you know, since hearing like Clint Eastwood and you know the singles that we've been pelted with so much. They're probably a part of our dna somehow at this point and um but plastic beach i I came across it well i was excited for it and uh i came across a leak of it online like six months before it came out and i as weird as it sounds i was hanging out with that same babysitter except this time i was uh you know 18 years old smoking cigarettes in his car and uh i burned the cd that i found you know the the files onto the cd and then we just kind of like drove around and listened to it so in a lot of ways i guess that band kind of ties me to my childhood and a lot of my friendships but this record was sort of like um it felt like a big deal when it came out because it was so uh it was so anticipated after demon days which was a hugely successful record of theirs yeah yeah i i I feel like they're one of those bands, like you were saying, like where you're just, we see all the singles just kind of everywhere. 
So I don't think I've ever really sat down and tried to just go like, let me figure out what this is about. And all I could really think is like, in my head, they might as well be like a car commercial because I feel like they have so many animated clips of them like driving cars <laughs> that it's like, I think I, in my head, it's basically the hamsters driving the Kia Soul thing. Like that's what <laughs> yeah. Gorillas is to me. Yeah, <laughs> like, That's completely fair. Yeah. And it's like I knew that the guy from Blur was a part of the group, but I, I don't. I don't know like it could have just been like anybody which I think in part is like point of the project like doesn't it feels like it's this idea that it's like doesn't want it to be about him he wants it to be about I guess just the music itself uh, so people don't get lost in like I guess his own stardom like I, I still struggle with like what kind of the overall conceit and I say that because I feel like he wants everything to feel like an overall conceit for each record or especially this one you know and sometimes i feel like when something is like a concept album i'm like does the concept work and i you know and i think i could be jumping a lot ahead um, because there's a lot of context there's a lot of context for like who the gorillas are and if you know like the kind of why and if there's even any way to propose that the why, yeah, I suppose, like, in a lot of ways, Gorillaz, to me, strikes a, a very a very particular chord in trying to create pop music that was a little twisted, a little weird, um, and I think that is kind of what's always drawn me to them, is the way that they subvert a lot of, a lot of, like, the things that you hear in pop music, while also maintaining, maintaining, like, a pop sensibility and and featuring, you know, a lot of famous artists and collaborating with them and, and really pulling out the best of them, I think, in a lot of their performances. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that was like, I think on my first listen, I was like, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> and, yeah. And I feel like I've listened to this album probably more than most that I've had to do episodes on. And I feel like it took a few times, but I feel like I was able to get to a point of just kind of appreciating it for what it is, you know. Um, so, so it, but it was, you know, kind of hard. Like I felt like I, I don't know, I struggled with it. Is simply what I'm saying at first, you know. To be completely honest. Of course, I I think that um, I guess it just depends on you know what what kind of world you come from and maybe context for the viewer or the listener josh and i have known each other for you know 10 years now yeah and (laughs) and it and i feel like we both we both kind of uh we do the same thing you know musically and stuff but we all i feel like uh listening to music wise we're kind of in different different uh areas completely um Mm -hmm. so i can i really do appreciate your willingness to take on this uh hour-long like beast of a record that you have to listen to to talk to me about it (laughs) But um, but I can understand how you know a record this dense, especially if you're not like big on the genre or un- or if you're unfamiliar with like what you're gonna hear, can be a lot to take on. You know, it's like it's something that you always hear is great, but you know, how long did it take you to finally sit through the Irishman? You know, it's yeah. just like one of those things. <laughs> yeah, and also with something like the Irishman, I guess. 
I mean, no one's asking you to do this, but imagine you had to do a podcast on the Irishman. And so you kind of tell yourself for whatever reason, like you're going to watch it like three times. In this instance, it's like I felt like I watched the Irishman like 10 times. (laughs) Yeah. But but also, I don't know if I would equate it to the Irishman and that it's not it's not that long of a record. Like this is 56 minutes and 46 seconds. Um, not including any of the, the bonus kind of tracks that are, that are listed. So I don't think that's like, I think I've done like albums. I know for instance, like unwound that album's like an hour and 13 and that's like post hardcore kind of stuff. So it's like (laughs) a little bit more exhausting actually. And with a band that I like a lot more. So there is a lot of this record, uh, that I felt like I would put it on and then kind of tune it out which i think you can do because it's it's not that hour listen even if you're not completely on board with it isn't hard to do like you were saying like it's it's you know pop sensibility you know so like when that second track really essentially the first track of the record comes on like you know snoop dogg something i recognize and something i like so it's not hard to take in but it's like something about like getting it's almost like snoop dogg is like the narrator of a film but then you never see snoop dogg anymore because a lot of what this is is cinematic and then you're like oh well i'm supposed to believe the conceit of this from snoop dogg I, i don't know it was like trying to just like but then it's like well imagine this is like a character because that's really what gorillas does you know, it's like these are characters. And then I felt like it's like it almost felt like I needed to like you walk into a room and somebody's watching like the fifth season of something. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, do I need to know who uh, like I don't even think I wrote the I think I went to write down the member, the kind of virtual members. names, oh, yeah. And I said I said, I don't think that I should do that, um, but maybe I should. <laughs> But it's like, so do I need to know, like, Bobo and Dingus or, you know, whatever their names? Murdoch and 2D and Noodles. Okay, Noodles was the one. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but then I was like, wait, is this... And I think throughout the record, I was like, the first couple times through, I was like, wait, is that Noodles singing? Is that supposed to be Noodles? Or, um, you know, like, thinking, like, Lou Reed was, like, a character. And then I couldn't, like, really figure out the story if there's even supposed to really be a story or if there's just an overarching theme. Well, I feel like, um, I feel like gorillas have always been kind of, uh, you know, I'll, I'll say something against, against the product too. It's like, I think that they've always had like a a big grand vision for what they want to do with storytelling, but I feel like the albums themselves don't necessarily lend themselves to the stories of like the characters. It's almost as if the characters, set more of a thematic backdrop and then the things that happen on the records are ha- are happening like on our earth so like plastic beach you know itself being an allegory for waste and consumerism and fakeness and you know kind of the artifice of plastic bouncing off of the artifice of the characters themselves you know because when when you put a mask on you know look at like mf doom it's so easy to play so many different roles and 
so many different characters in these stories that you're trying to tell and have so many different personalities that you bring to the table. It's like wrestling, you know? Yeah. And I think, though, it's like... Why... Sometimes when, like, pop kind of has to have, like, a message... I'm like, I don't know if most people that like gorillas would care about this message. Like, I thought it was interesting. And then even when I think about it, like, compared to, like, Coheed and Cambria and how we were talking about, like, it never goes into the storylines. Like, but if we look at, like, Coheed, do we really want it to go into the, to Needles' yeah, backstory yeah. as much as we might think it does? Like, yeah, like, we I may don't. not need to know. We don't need to really know more about Noodles, I guess. We need to care enough to think that we want. Yeah. Sure. And I guess, so I feel like on the early records, the characters were more like prominently featured and their stories as well in the music videos because the early music videos almost told like a completely cohesive story. I mean, cohesive yet psychedelic, you know, kind of story about these characters. And I feel like maybe Jamie Hewlett, the artist of these characters, was a bit more of a more of a collaborator at the time. Um, I, I do know that like him and Damon had a falling out, like after this yeah. record came out and they, you know, kind of stopped making stuff together and the gorilla stopped. I guess I, I don't really know what level of, of involvement Jamie had uh, on this record, but yeah, I think the characters, it's kind of something that once you start doing it, you can't stop doing it. Like they couldn't change course. <laughs> so, but I'm with you. I don't, I don't really want to listen to, an album that has a comic book that goes along with it, and if you don't read the comic, you don't understand the lyrics. Um, Coheed was what we used to also be a, one of my favorite bands, and mm-hmm. I would say that yeah, uh, you know they kind of fell off for me uh, just because I felt like it, the amount of investment that you had to give to the story to enjoy the music was just really uh, a lot to ask the audience. Yeah, um, kind of side note. When I'm thinking about like comics... There was, like, I was reading a comic. It was uh, just, like, a trade graphic novel collection. And I was like, man, this would be nice if somehow this moved and then there was music. And then I think I'd pay attention to it. Then I was like, wait, I just created cartoons (laughs) instead of reading this comic. Like, why can't I just appreciate it for exactly what it is? Which kind of leads me back to, I think, like, once I kind of got... Once I kind of got to a point of listening to it a few times, like I felt like I stopped wanting it to be something that it wasn't. Um, like I, you know, I stopped trying to look for like what season of this we're on and trying to connect it to its other work and a little bit of research and kind of back to what you were saying. Like without like Danger Mouse there and like as much involvement from Jamie, like I think it's just kind of like its own thing that exists in this like lightly in this universe you know that they've created like he lets it be there but it's like that's when damon really takes over like into this project you know um but and i don't know what to compare it to but i i'm from the stuff i would say like do you feel like this album is like the strongest one to you i would assume that's the case if you're if we're talking about it today I think it is it is their strongest output because I while I feel like their first two records are these like dizzying displays of like 
of like collaborating these like really crazy sounds with like really well-known uh rappers and you know even dennis hopper has like a voiceover on demon days it's like i feel like i feel like the amount of stardom is always staggering but plastic beach for me is where you have a pretty cohesive thematic story happening um i think it's easy to follow and i think that it's generally their most accessible record even if it didn't have the clint eastwood single or the uh or the feel good ink single i feel like Mm -hmm. this record to me is is i think i think it's their best one yeah have you ever listened to that dave Grohl project probot no i never have i've never (laughs) heard of it it feels like the kind of i mean he's only done that the one time but it's like if i would imagine that dave Grohl kept doing probot so essentially it's like it's Dave Grohl writing all the music, obviously, but then it's different kind of known metal vocalist on every track, which kind of filtered into, I, th- I feel like, how Queens of the Stone Age writes their music, where it's like, you're like, how much of Queens of the Stone Age am I really getting? I'm getting all of these other people, too. And then I feel like you're, like, blinded by all of these other people, but then when you step back, you're like, what is it? You know, like, sure. you know, so I'm kind of agreeing with you on the, the thing that I can't really compare with, like, the previous records. It's like, I feel like it's almost like going to a Marvel movie, and then you're like, oh, that's Spider-Man, that's that person, that person, and then you're like, oh, I'm about to fall asleep because all the CGI and stuff. But, you know, it's like, you're like, what is really happening here is, you know. I, I guess to elaborate on, my, on what I was previously saying is like, I feel like this is also their only record where like, if you take away Damon's voice, I feel like the record loses most of its personality. Yeah. Because, um, but to answer your question the bro- broadly, like of what's happening here, I mean, I truthfully just see Plastic Beach as sort of this, this piece of pop grandiosity mm-hmm. that sort of just speaks to, you know, this, the iPhone era of the 2010s when, when everything started to become really different as far as technology and as far as waste and as far as um, consumer electronics and fast fashion and, and even nutrition, as mentioned on the song, Super Fast Jellyfish <laughs> yeah, from this yeah. record. You know, I feel like I feel like it was in a lot of ways, and this might be a, a, a very odd comparison for you to, to bounce off of and, and Please don't clip your microphone if you laugh at me. But I think that um, in a lot of ways, you look at the reuniting of The Clash's surviving members on Plastic Beach, and Plastic Mm -hmm. Beach to me almost feels like the London calling of the pop genre for this era and for this decade, where it covers so much ground genre-wise in it, and it does so much with new sounds and, and just new ideas and what I feel at the time was a very cluttered landscape of pop music. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, the thing that I try and push back against my own instinct is that kind of notion that, you know, like you'll, you'll, you'll hear it all the time. It's like, so imagine if someone's like, there hasn't been a good like record since London calling came out, you know, like that type of thing. They're like, whatever kind of like, milestone people kind of mark and then they're like there hasn't you know like someone said that Ronert Park was the last good hardcore record that came out by Ceremony and I'm like 
I mean, how would you like what kind of like those kind of grand statements that like one thing was kind of where culture for them kind of stopped or peaked. So I'm I'm bringing that to say like I'll support you on saying like this could be a London calling. Like it's like I I feel like I grew up too much within it to really appreciate it for that, but I'm trying to like take like a little distance away. I don't I don't think that it's the only and to be clear, like I, mm-hmm. I love music from every era, every genre. Yeah. And I don't think that Plastic Beach is the best record since London Calling. That's not what I'm saying. But just in the way that yeah. London Calling was this grand statement in a time when punk rock was short, fast, loud. It was mm-hmm. a way where it took genres from around the world in sort of this world uniting message of, and I feel like London Calling was a lot of hope and a lot of yeah. you know, looking towards the future. And in a lot of ways, I feel like Plastic Beach does similar things and has similar attitudes. Um, and I just, I just, uh, I'm a sucker for grandiosity. I mean, the other 2010 record, uh, that does the same thing was My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy by Kanye West. Um, of course that's records more about him than it is about (laughs) the world at large, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think, yeah, not this, not this. I think Ronard Park is a fantastic record. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say it's the last great hardcore record by any means. Um, but it's certainly a landmark record and I do feel, and I, and I do feel that Plastic Beach is a landmark record as well. Yeah. It, I mean, it totally is like, there's a lot going on and in, in a good way too. Like I felt like once I really just allowed it to be its own thing, which feels like something I say like on every episode of this, um, there's, I mean like Marky Smith from the fall is on this record. Like that's crazy, you know? And like, with like Bobby Womack and getting like Lou Reed to do like I love Lou Reed but all I can think of now Lou Reed is one every time I hear Lou Reed's voice I just think of Grandpa Simpson uh, <laughs> and also I just I, I think of that Metallica record uh, Lulu and like can't separate him from that but this I love the track that he's on for this yeah the Lou Reed track is sick um there's something so eerie and ominous about it. And I feel like a lot of the record, um, to discuss, I guess, the this, this sound like sonically more in-depth, it does have sort of an ominous, overarching tone where it, I feel like a lot of the record... Uh, a lot of the record is, you know, this joyous pop music, but... Um, it feels, but it also it has kind of has this like we're fucked message that kind of yeah, happens yeah. throughout it. Um, but it almost seems like there's an acceptance there too, um, even in Lou Reed's song, which uh, some kind of nature, which ultimately uh, you know his voice glitches and distorts over his hook, and uh, there's just something wrong, you know, and you can just kind of hear it. Yeah. The songs. Yeah. There's. Um... So this might be where you kind of laugh at me when I compare it to something. Um, so with seeing like Lou Reed, you know, Bobby Womack, Marky Smith, Snoop Dogg, this honestly feels like the musical equivalent of like a Quentin Tarantino movie. And <laughs> <laughs> that it just feels like it's like, if it's done well, and I think this one is, 
then you kind of take it's like it's like Don Johnson will pop up and you're like, whoa, Don Johnson, that's the Nash Bridges guy, you know. And then you're like, but he's doing this other thing, you know, like. And so it's like, wow, I kind of just thought a lot of times when people get later into their career, I mean, Snoop Dogg, even one of them, you kind of almost just expect them to kind of like rest, you know, in a way. Like it's like they'll pop up, you know, it's like it's almost like Santana. You know, but if someone recontextualized Santana now, then it could, like, make it cool again. For example, like the, uh, so, you know, on Thundercat record where it has Michael McDonald on it, I feel like it's, like, to most people of a certain age, like, Michael McDonald is, like, hack. Like, Michael McDonald is done. But to people young enough to not even know who Michael McDonald is, like, he gets, like, a rebirth. Yeah for them like so this could be so in a way like quentin tarantino like it's like kids of a certain age don't know who the fuck don johnson is like i barely do Mm -hmm. you know it's like so it's like they recontextualize these people and kind of like give them another extension so these kind of projects that kind of do that you know are really interesting you know yeah combining like maybe what damon's you know inspirations were with more contemporary artists as well um, I feel you on that, like, because I didn't know who Lou Reed was when I was 18 years old drinking Four Loko. Like, I didn't know who Lou Reed was, and I didn't care who Lou Reed was. <laughs> but, but um, you know, loving loving that song for so long, and then and then realizing, oh, this is that guy. Oh, okay. Like, you know, on a listen, like, you know, a few years ago. And sort of just uh, kind of growing with it. I think that there is uh, there is a lot there. Um, but on the topic of Snoop Dogg, I think, I think that guy will do almost anything, so... He, he doesn't seem like he turns a turns a job down. Yeah, he will. <laughs> you know, he's in a he's in Corona beer commercials. He's on uh, that that uh, stunt show right now with Cody Rhodes, the wrestler, and he's uh, you know still popping up on songs. He seems like a nice guy. You know, I'm happy for him. When Snoop Dogg pops up and things like this, I do feel like he still is able to do like a really good job on it. Like I I really like that track. Um, but but yeah, just kind of agreeing with you. Like it seems like he's once again tying it to film. He's like Samuel L. Jackson. Like you're not unhappy to see him, but you're gonna yeah. see him a lot. And and it it'll never be his performance that calls you call on the quality more so than the the whole of the projects. Because <laughs> yeah, like they do bring a certain like presence to the things they they do. But like Nicolas Cage, you know, if the content isn't very good, then it'll be hard for him to put it over the top. But even Snoop Dogg's presence on this record to me almost feels novel novelty, like a novelty, because he he does like th- four bars and then he just introduces the record. And I feel like the record really starts with White Flag, um, that just like absurd, uh, that absurd uh, rap song. It sounds like um, at Disney's Animal Kingdom uh, chopped up into a beat and I'm just like obsessed with it. Yeah, and that's like because when it went from Snoop Dogg to White Flag, and that has Bashy and Kano on it, and a little research I did, they're like British grime guys, and like it feels like I'm like, oh, I'm really gonna have to contend with these like characters all throughout this record. Like he would be like the hip hop equivalent of like a Lion King musical is what I thought that it was gonna sound like. But then like after White Flag, I feel like it does like it's like. I'm going to introduce you to this crazy world. And then every time kind of Damon pops up on the record, I feel like it kind of like, 
it feel there's a lot of musical stuff to it, which isn't. I mean, that's I think what he's intending to do. But it's like this telling you like, oh, I'm gonna give you some exposition almost in a way, like kind of put you at ease. You know, is what a lot of the Damon pieces do. That's really insightful because um, I agree. Uh, I agree with you. I, I feel like yeah, when when Damon's here, it's it, he is contextualizing, and his songs are are typically uh, lower on the energy scale, but they they also seem to draw more from like the European house music and more so like um, what I would even honestly refer to as like the dubstep wubs that like find their way on this record in like the strangest ways um, without you know committing to that at all because thank thank God it doesn't do anything with dubstep but um, but yeah uh, that was sort of its own world I guess at the time but oh uh, yeah the rhinestone eyes that that next track after white flag is is uh, uh, one of my favorites and just the the way that the way that uh, the synths like pierce the the tranquil sky uh, that he sings under for the chorus I mean that song is just really gnarly I think yeah the then kind of I guess just going to the next track just thinking about like stylo any of the points that Bobby Womack is on this record I think are like <laughs> the best parts and also like uh most f being like the next track is probably my favorite of the whole record stylo is uh you know and even with like cloud of unknowing like i don't know i just i like i guess that kind of thing but that's you know i don't know i don't even have a good way to explain explain it it's just good (laughs) it's a something for everybody record yeah and if the bobby womack songs are what you need then that's 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 all you need so are they how do you feel about those kind of parts of the record those parts specifically or more so just like um i mean like the my favorite guests on the record i would say yeah bobby womack is on there but most def i think does great on both of his songs as well um i love him on sweepstakes uh the sort of like you know song that pokes fun at like the the nature of like Americans, I think specifically feeling like temporarily embarrassed millionaires, like one day you'll win it all, um, like with the lottery or whatever. But, uh, the way he just like wraps over, over that sort of morose, like keep cool form a line hook is just like really, really interesting. I think it, it lends itself really well to like his energy that he, his, his very specific kind of energy, I think to him. Yeah, I think, like, what I kept thinking about a lot uh, is just, like, who Damon is. Like, who is this guy? Like, and then with a little bit of research, because I always have to kind of remind myself, like, oh, this is the Blur guy, you know? <laughs> but yeah. to be, to be like, both the Blur guy and the Gorillas guy is, like, quite a feat, you know? It's like, I guess it's like typecasting with anything. It's like, you wouldn't... Ex- in a way expect it but then i i went down kind of rabbit hole of just like kind of revisiting some blur stuff and i feel like when you get later into their their catalog blurs catalog you can kind of start seeing some of this in there like he starts being more inviting and even like almost like disco elements on blur records and i've never been like a big blur guy but I really feel like he's almost like the equivalent of like Robert Pollard of Guided by Voices. And I feel like I'm going to get a few emails from that. Um, but <laughs> I get a sense that he's like always writing. 
Like, because there, yeah. there was some little thing I looked at. Basically, while they were touring on this, on the tour bus, he was just writing what became The Fall, like that kind of, the record that came out after this or at some point. And, yeah. and like, he just wrote it. So it's like, this guy just sits in a tour bus and writes songs, like, all the time. Like, he's just constantly writing songs, it seems like. Yeah, he wrote he wrote that whole record on his iPad, which I feel like at the time was really like, um, you know, like a bit of a, a bit of a feat, to use your word. But I don't feel like that's as interesting now. Um, no. But that record is also very like minimal, um, and I feel like it's the only thing he could have done after this one with how grand Plastic Beach is. But um, are you to change gears a little bit, like? Are you, in general, like, familiar with the sort of, like, left-field hip-hop scene of, like, the 90s with, like, Del the Funky Homo Sapien and DJ Shadow and Dr. Octagon and, like, all those guys? Like, is that something that you you were ever into? Uh, yeah, I mean, less of, like, DJ Shadow and definitely with Dr. Octagon and uh, Del the Funky Homo Sapien. But that's... A lot of that, though it's like i'm familiar because it was at at the time featured on a lot of like bmx and skateboard videos so (laughs) yeah not in a sense that i went out and but it's like i like it when i hear it for sure um i guess the reason why i bring it up is just because like i feel like that whole scene and i'll just name a few more names but like handsome boy modeling school and like uh even jay dilla in a lot of ways um, these these guys were just really doing something different. Uh, Dan the Automator, with the way they produced rap music and the way that they that they you know took this genre into a into a place that was very separate from the very like pop infused hip hop of the '90s. Um, because when I was growing up, I remember you could listen to the, to the, the Thong song, or you could listen to you know Deltron Thirty Thirty, and those were kind of yeah. like the records that you could choose if you were a hip-hop fan um and i feel like in a lot of ways gorillas carried on those sounds and and that sort of attitude where it was all like vaguely neon and had a lot of um japanese influence and anime influence and you know you'd hear the shit on toonami like they mm-hmm. they brought all that stuff they brought all that stuff into the the 2000s and then the, and then with this record the 2010s and um, in a lot of ways, Plastic Beach to me feels like kind of the end of that, like the third act sort of of the gorilla, not the third act, I'm sorry, maybe the end of the first act because they have more records, but it feels like the end of what their original, their original thing was, because I don't really think any of the records that came out after this by gorillas are in anywhere near close to the first three, um, as far as quality goes, but, um, but yeah, I feel like I feel like this was kind of the the long goodbye to that era of music that um, I feel like was a lot more influential than it has credit than it has been been credited for. I feel like um, I feel like a lot of us, um, you know, millennials, us thirty year olds and and higher and lower by a couple years, yeah. we grew up with you know Gundam Wing at two in the morning on. Cartoon Network, and and this is the shit we were hearing. I mean, they were playing Flying Lotus, they were playing Jay Dilla, they were playing Dan the Automator, and you know Dell and all those guys. And um, I'm really nostalgic for that personally. So yeah, there's 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 kind of a difference that I'm hitting at 
there's people that I know that were into like Wu Tang, but that wasn't even like a firsthand thing for me. But like, I definitely like like Wu Tang Forever a lot when it came out, and then I liked a lot of the like early '90s stuff, even though that was like many years later. Um, but I was more so drawn to like Wu Tang, you know, Ice Cube, and then like later on like Ice T. A lot of hip hop that I did get into, but when it got into this era. There was a facet of it that I stayed away from because I thought it was kind of something else. But also going back to something you said, I had this kind of aversion to anything anime mainly because essentially I just got like bullied into not liking it. Like, and so then I missed a lot of things. Like, like one of the first times I like I went to school and I wore a Pokemon shirt, and someone called me a slur. So I made sure to never wear that Pokemon shirt again, <laughs> you know? And it is. And, like, I'm, and I had friends that watched anime, and also anime was slightly harder that's to unfortunate. get. It would be like a friend had a videotape at that know. point still. Uh, that's kind of the age difference between us. Like, it was like, and then, but we would watch it at their house, and we didn't talk about it in public. It was what it felt like with anime. You know, um, yeah. It, it felt really underground, mm-hmm. um, and and you know it, when it was on TV, it was two in the morning, so you'd have to like stay up late, you know, and watch it on your little CRT TV if you're like lucky enough to have one in your bedroom growing up. And um, yeah, but you know, to to just kind of bounce off your point, and I'll let mm-hmm. you, I'll let you of course continue, but. I feel like a lot of this hip hop was definitely embraced by nerd culture and um, nerd culture wasn't something that any of us really uh, were comfortable expressing until, you know, the film Napoleon Dynamite came out and Twee happened and being nerdy was in and popular. And Well, it it makes me think of that uh, scene in like 22 Jump Street where they go to beat up the kids. And they're like, they basically explain to them that nerds are the dominant culture. And so, like, I feel like there was a point, basically, it's like, as a kid, I felt like anything nerdy would just get you, like, beat up. And so you kind of hit it, or you just hung out with those people. But it wasn't the dominant thing. You would just get pizza thrown at you and the, like, but I, I hung out with those people, you know? But it's like, but if they brought like action figures to school and middle school, you know, someone would break them. You know, I, what I'm telling people is that I had a lot of bullies in my school. You know, um, but it but it wasn't like because maybe it's either where I was raised in Wilmington, <laughs> North Carolina, yeah. or either that's yeah. how people were at that time. Um, and so I avoided it out of like fear that I would just be ostracized, which seems silly. In retrospect, now as a full-grown ass adult, yeah. I don't think it sounds silly at all, and you know, it's it's a kind of wild how on brand all of this is because okay. my babysitter friend who got me into gorillas was definitely a humongous fucking nerd, and we and so was I, and. You know, we'd sit up all night playing Dreamcast and playing Halo, and, uh, you know, this is what we did. And, 
it makes me feel like maybe he was empowered by something like gorillas this this nerdy genre that eked its way into the mainstream i mean think about del the funky homo sapien being on clint eastwood the yeah. biggest song ever i mean like that song i look at that song and then i look at like hey ya and i'm like maybe those are maybe those are like the most popular hip-hop slash pop songs that i could think of that kind of came from my i don't either. my you know early yeah. developmental years um because now i don't know what's popular anymore a dua lipa i don't know but but um but i'm i'm, I'm a fool for not i should keep up but but yeah, I think that the intersection of <laughs> gorillas entering the mainstream culture and coming from this secret videotaped anime at your friend's house and, and it that being like the origin point is an extremely cool cultural shift. And maybe, you know, something we're discovering together now in this conversation and our different backgrounds is maybe the gorillas were in a lot of ways the wave that kind of brought this sort of, you know, uh, like tech like computer tech shit into like the mainstream and like and like what 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 even what's the term i mean this like gremlin internet culture and bringing it into the mainstream and, and turning this like nerdy shit yeah. making it the number one you know rap song in the world for an entire year it's four times platinum or whatever it was at the time and um Della funky homo sapien uh, i'm sure everybody got yeah. to him with the song uh, that was on Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 3 about taking showers because you smell bad. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. Um, you gotta wash your ass, that song. I feel like that dude being on the most popular song in the world was just like, a huge jump. I mean, yeah, that's wild. I, I think, mean, like, you think about, I guess I'm kind of just going back to of that. the way I felt about it. Um, yeah, I don't know what that cultural shift looks like, but it's like, essentially we were all into the same things it's just like by the time it kind of hit your age group it was it was a lot more comfortable for you to just outwardly say that this is what you like and but when i'm thinking about uh kind of tangent off of a tangent um when i thought about things like gorillas or when i thought about things like jay dilla more so i thought that it sounded like aesop rock and it doesn't like I, I feel like I still struggle with things like ASAP rock because there's like tenants of it that I just it just doesn't catch my ear right like I, I'm still not like a big fan but that's fine it's music is subjective but Jay Dilla doesn't feel like that because I've dove into that some and this doesn't feel like ASAP rock you know <laughs> to me like they're they're completely different things yet they kind of existed around the same time frame um, so I kind of, uh, what I'm saying really ultimately is I wish because of basically bullies, I didn't like prejudge like a whole, uh, genre of music. I guess I, this might come to Jesus kind of thing. Like I'm, I'm apologizing to you for the sake of like what has now become like dominant culture, you know? <laughs> Oh, and, and that's okay. I mean, I hopefully, you know, it's kind of funny to yeah. imagine the war going on in your head when you, you're listening to Plastic Beach for the 10th time and the bullies are still there. And you're like, you're like I can't enjoy this record. I just can't. You've programmed yourself just like to uh, be allergic I, I, I to hate Plastic Beach. the term that popped in my head, but it's like a self-hating nerd. You know, it's just like, I'm, I'm into nerdy shit, but it's like, it's like, 
it's like there's still a voice that's like it's fine it's okay you know like that guy won't make fun of yeah it is but like it's <laughs> yeah it's kind of well, like bullying's fucked i up. think it really changed like around your age group but it f- still feels like the <laughs> it still feels like the dominant l- love language for people around my age like we can't help but do it and it's like hard to unlearn it and i think like uh there's so many like elder millennial tropes even uh, let's say like judd apatow so much so much of it is just bullying you know and that was the dominant culture you know like hit your friend in the nuts kind of thing you know like it's like yeah that was dominant culture you know and like at some point it's like people got nicer but i guess not really but you know it's like it's like nerds got i don't don't know because there's still a bunch of trash in the world so it's hard to say people got nicer you know maybe maybe it was one of those things where everybody was like oh shit i kind of fuck with anime too and i'm yeah and a lot of them were just like oh no we all like it oh shit okay never mind we're not gonna bully people for this anymore (laughs) well maybe Maybe it was when Kim Kardashian started watching anime, or there was, I remember seeing something on Twitter, it was like one of the Kardashians was like, oh, I love Cowboy Bebop, and it's just like, yeah, the show fucking rocks, <laughs> yeah. welcome to the club. It's even like when I, even sometimes, and I think I did it in this this episode, where, where sometimes I want to trash Marvel stuff, because it's become the dominant culture, but it's like, it's what I grew up reading and liked. So it's like, I can't really completely trash it because, like, it's it's complicated because it's it's sort of, I, it's like I struggle to not just be the person, like, it's not for you kind of thing, you know? It's like, that wasn't how, like, it still felt, it's weird to say that Marvel felt like an underground thing when I was a kid. Which, oh, it was, though. I mean, even yeah. when I was a kid, like, I was born in 1990, like, people weren't, the first taste of superhero shit that I had was the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies. Like, that was, like, the first the first hit, I feel like, for people uh, who grew up with me, you know, getting into getting into comic books. It was, I mean, it was a huge element. Like, before that, it was, like, Blade, but Blade was, like, such a kind of, like, unknown property in terms of people just kind of took Blade for what it was. But when, when Spider-Man came in the theater like it was huge for me like it was like i had spent all my life like reading spider-man comics and had like a spider-man omnibus that told me like every character that existed within spider-man comics um and then it was finally on the screen you know but then there's still this feeling of like it's like you're taking it away from me you know that i still like wrestle with a lot i think that like the, the insecurity that comes with like your inner child and not just your inner child but everyone's inner child there's a lot of shit i feel like that i would really liked as a kid too that i can look at now and be like oh no that was like you know power man 5000 they're like they're pretty awful and like static x like that band kind of sucks i guess but then i think about like limp biscuit and i'm like oh that band was hugely hugely in my life when i was you know eight nine years old once again, blending like rap music with rock music and, and doing really interesting shit. West Borland making up chords, uh, you know, there's like, <laughs> those records are just wild. And I was conditioned to not like those things over over the, 
you know, set amount of years just because my father made fun of it. And, you know, he's like a blues guy. So yeah, yeah. You know, he has his own opinions. Um, and then, and then when I was, you know, I don't know if you had the same civil war in your high school or middle school, but we had, um, you were either a rocker or a rapper and where does Limp Biscuit fall? And so eventually, you know, I became a pretentious music nerd when I was 13 and I was like, I can't listen to yeah. this shit anymore. Now I'm 30 years old and I see Limp Bizkit performing at Lollapalooza in Chicago and I'm like, oh no, this shit rocks and this shit has always rocked and I don't know why I let myself, I bullied myself into not enjoying it for whatever reason. Yeah, and I think like where people get mixed up and I feel like I'm slowly wanting to get back to the gorillas because there's like an overall point I think both of us are trying to make. But in terms of like Limp Bizkit, like, sometimes I feel like people want everything to win an Oscar. Like, but everything doesn't have to be, like, of that caliber to be, like, good. And technically, too, if you st- take a step back, it's like, everything doesn't... You can also admit that, like, and I'm not saying Limp Biscuit per se, but it's like, you can like something and it actually not be good. <laughs> you know, and that's fine. You know, it's like everything, it's like everything sort of like at some point, you know, it's like people are like, you know, Nickelback's bad or Nickelback's good. But it's like, what if you just like it? You know, it's like it could still be bad. You might just like it. That's fine. You know, that's kind of where I'm trying to arrive at just totally. It's like everything doesn't deserve an Oscar and that's fine. Like some of the, your favorite movies might be ones you just caught on like USA Network that you know it that you just saw it like you know 5 p.m on a saturday or something and tommy it's like, yeah and it's like tommy boy was never gonna win an oscar and that's totally fine grandma's boy is a hilarious movie but <laughs> it's bad it's very <laughs> bad nick swartzen is in it but but you know also but even what is good or bad i mean what is it like because if you say something not, it's not an Oscar movie, I mean, yeah, I'll tell you what's an Oscar movie. It has to have war in it, and uh, you know that's pretty much the only criteria. And you know, it's just I feel like as we kind of move into into this this new culture now, where you know I feel like this next generation is really embracing themselves because there's so many subgroups. It's almost like I'm sure bullying still happens. Of course it does, but yeah, th- but everybody has a group you know, um, for every interest, it seems. And if your group isn't in real life, it's online. And with everybody being themselves, it really feels like um, good and bad is more subjective than ever. Uh, you know, people, you have 100 gecks coming out and being as popular as they are. I think they're fantastic. A lot of people think that it is the worst thing they've ever heard. And they're not wrong. It might be. Um, and that might be their opinion. And that's completely fine. You know, in the end, like, quality is just completely subjective um yeah more than ever i think especially because yeah but so i'm like this now. gorillas record like isn't even challenging on a level that 100 gex is for like just someone to passively listen to it like sure. so it's like i don't i don't see how someone and i guess it's like i'm not specifically like pointing at your dad but it's like almost every dad like i i know you we've talked about this before it's like your dad like really likes like ACDC or, or like blues and stuff like that kind of kind of thing like you know I'm like halfway there with them but it's like there's a lot on this record 
that any kind of fan of rock or kind of like uh, rock and R&B as a whole, like, you know, to older music should find something they like about it. You know, like, this isn't a hard record to listen to. Like, Lou Reed's on it. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know? <laughs> like, it's like... Mick, Mick Jones and Paul Simon are on it together. Yeah. And they were, yeah, and they were, like, the touring band around that time frame. So it's like... But it's also, like... Distance does, like, a weird thing in two ways. Is that it makes people think that things are infallible and also makes you kind of realize that maybe something wasn't as bad as you kind of, like, the zeitgeist maybe told you that it was at the time. So I think that sometimes when people think about, like, The Clash, kind of going back to that, they almost remember, like, a band's greatest hits. They don't really remember the fact that, like, Mick Jones went and formed, like, big audio dynamite and they don't they don't remember like people's missteps when they're like thinking of that and that's fine like you're an artist who has to create music i don't know so so i tried to go through like the thing and just like think about like who damon is and think about like what this experiment is and it's just like this huge love of like all things music that it's still kind of hard for me to wrap my head around even though i'm like trying I'm trying, Dylan. Yeah. <laughs> and that's all anyone could ask for is just an attempt. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I think that it, it does sound like every genre. I do think that there's something for everybody there. Um, but in a lot of ways, um, and I'll, I want to say this for the record, like it's not my favorite record of all time, like by any means. It's prob- probably in my top fifty. Um, but in a lot of ways, I feel like. Um, it's just so experimental yet accessible and I think that to its credit that's probably the most endearing thing about it I feel like it's a record that like you could show somebody who likes pop music to really like fuck with their head and be like this is what you can do with pop music but also it's not this like unapproachable like behemoth of a record I think that its accessibility really worked in its favor and um, I know I know like referring to a pop record as like something that's like easy to listen to can oftentimes be like a way to disparage it and kind of speak to like its simplicity or like you know its lack of depth but i do think that plastic beach is a deep record and i do think that it has a lot to say and i think that its themes only become more relevant with time as our world crumbles under our feet Do you, do you hear gorillas and other music that you listen to that might be more current, or do you feel like, in whatever this really means, do you feel like in some sort of way they've fallen out of like consciousness? I do feel like they've fallen out of consciousness, and I do feel like their current output is is fallen has fallen into more of the same territory. Um, I feel like. A great, a great way of describing it would be that I feel like when they were writing and, you know, doing the Plastic Beach thing, they were so far ahead of all of their contemporaries sonically, but I feel like now they're kind of in the same place as they were with Plastic Beach, and they haven't really grown. Nothing's really changed. Um with you know their sound and i feel like they've other other rappers and other producers have gotten kind of ahead of damon and i do feel like um they just did this thing called song machine 
oh, it's like this huge album. It's like 25, 26 songs with all these different really contemporary rappers. And, you know, there's a song with like Slow Tie that's really great. There's a song with, song with JPEG Mafia that's really great. Robert Smith is on it. And there's like, there's stuff that like works. But it at this point in Damon's career, it sounds like he's just producing songs for other people rather than writing Gorillaz records because I feel like his voice is really missing from a lot of the a lot of the contemporary Gorilla stuff. And despite putting out the Now Now, which is a more solo a solo Damon Gorillaz album, it just doesn't feel like that they have the magic that they did in 2010. Um, it doesn't feel it doesn't really feel as a uh, as important i'll put it to you this way like after plastic beach like five years later damon put out a record called everyday robots and it's a record he made about about our obsession with technology but he made the record using only like world like acoustic world instruments so it's really it's an interesting juxtaposition on paper but really the record just boils down to uh too much phone <laughs> yeah you know yeah. and i and i feel like i feel like the, um he the message has kind of passed him and i feel like his output as far as making grand political statements is kind of over and that's okay <clears throat> i don't think that we can expect anybody you know except for bernie sanders who's 400 years old to really continue to age and grow with us as people who are trying to seek a better world i think that what damon had to say in 2010 was really important and again it's still relevant but I don't think he should be making any grand attempts to, uh, to you know, tear down the society. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he might have been like at a, a unique point at his career that he was like so f- he was far enough into it that he was able to still see back. And so it's like gen- been just as much time. And it's like when he looks back, what is he kind of looking back to? Like Plastic Beach. And so then you feel like a lot of artists are just kind of doing cover like versions of themselves and so yeah it starts being really like grandpa simpson it's it's very grandpa simpson i mean he wrote a whole record about like the donald trump presidency it's called humans it's a gorilla's record um and it's not very good it's pretty uninspired and a lot of the rappers he got on it were pretty good they have like great performances like Pusha T, vince staples like they're on it and he, I'm sure when Damon was in this production meeting, he was like, all right, this is a record about Donald Trump. And then everybody raps and they use like the word Trump, like in their verse. But then he had like this last minute thing where he's like, oh, fuck shit. I don't want to put Trump's name on the record. Fuck it. This is going to be forever. So he bleeps out his name in every instance, even though the record's like about him. It just feels like he wants to say something, but he like doesn't know how. Like, he, it doesn't feel like... He feels like he really lost his footing in, like, these recent years. And it's a shame because, like, maybe this maybe the song machine is kind of where he goes now. Where he just produces songs for, you know, uh, you know, you know, people like JPEG Mafia who are really pushing hip-hop in a, in a wacky direction, a really cool direction politically yeah. and uh, sonically. But... But just just produce, you know. Damon's voice, I feel like, is gone as and not gone, but maybe just not as necessary as it was at one time. And I think, yeah, I still do think Plastic Beach holds up. I, I listened to that record in preparation for this, and I still really like it. I still think that it's really great. Um, all the features are great. All the sounds are great. The songs are 
the songs have beat switches. I mean, it's just it's very it's a very wild and fun record, and I'll probably I'll probably always like it. It's a record that I listened to ten years ago, that I can con- or eleven years ago that I can confidently say that I still really enjoy. I guess just thinking about you know like relationships like father and son thing, and not even specifically like your dad. Do you feel like getting into things like gorillas or just hip-hop in general was in any sort of way when you got into it originally like a response to kind of blues or rock that maybe your dad had around more i i would say like i feel like a lot of classic rock was just really unrelatable to me um i grew up in in south florida and i had and i had you know friends from all walks of life all backgrounds and none of them really cared about led zeppelin and that's like completely fine like you know um but i feel like gorillas was almost a perfect storm scenario for me and maybe for my my age group where everybody started watching dragon ball z when they got home from school and then you see their you know gorillas having anime in their music videos and having characters and um, the songs were good and oh there's the rapper from tony hawk pro skater and it was kind of like it was kind of like um the underground culture that we were only just becoming familiar with leaking into the mainstream. And I think that's really, that's really where I got into gorillas and, but, but hip hop in general, I feel like, I feel like you're going (laughs) to, you're going to hate me for saying this hip hop, hip hop in general to me was really just background music until I got into Kanye West. And I think that Kanye West was really my, was really my, um, entry point listening to the college dropout in 2004 and late registration when him and common and most deaf were putting out um these conscious rap records is the term conscious Mm -hmm. rap and and it's kind of bringing bringing it to the mainstream i feel like i feel like the wordplay and the lyrics and and the stories being told were they were much more relatable to me as somebody who a, a young kid who grew up you know, not the wealthiest neighborhood and, and not the wealthiest part of, of South Florida near Miami. And I feel like the, the messaging was just was just right. You know, it was right for me. And like it, it just it, it felt at least in more ways relatable to me than whatever Black Sabbath was singing about, even though I love Black yeah. Sabbath. Yeah. Um, I guess I was just looking for something to relate to. And I feel like rap music in a lot of ways, you have these storytellers who wear their heart on their sleeve and even though gorillas hearts are digital and drawn i feel like they still had a lot to say in their songs about technology and the future and kind of the state of the world uh, amongst their three classic records before they got shitty <laughs> yeah i mean and a lot of bands don't have three good records so it's like i think like almost after that point it's like i don't know like just keep pumping stuff out if you have a career off of it but if you still have those like three or four records like that's all you need with like anything you know like it's like i don't need metallica to write another good record i have the good records that i have by them you know like any sort of project that you can think of that you like it's like there's no expectation that they have to be continued like why would i expect rolling stones to still be writing good music now and they're like what uh that 300 years old you know (laughs) yeah there's yeah i mean i feel like art especially like you can you'll and you said this before with like talking about mick jones's other projects it's just like you can have 
you, you can have as much output as you like, but you know, if you put out three great records, you did your job. Like that's that's yeah. really. I mean, really, just one great record. You did your job. Yeah. Like, you know, you want to talk about good records? I mean, from twenty ten. I mean, I think twenty ten. This is a total tangent, but like, you had like Kanye West, maybe with Dark Twisted Fantasy, you had Titus Andronicus putting out The Monitor, which I think is their best record. Um, there's so much more from twenty ten. I want I want to name a few more sound bites. Yeah. I mean, do you think that? I mean, it's it's. I I want to say, do you think that's true? But it's like clearly that's just a point in your life. That yes, there probably was a lot of good things that came out in 2010. So I'm not disagreeing, and I think all of those were good representations of that. But do you feel like in any sort of way you're kind of doing that thing that it's like this is like a year you set in stone, so forever it will be 2010. That's a very interesting question to ask 30-year-old me, um, because <laughs> I would definitely think that when I was 20 and, ni- and 19 turning 20, yes, was certainly a good a good time. But also, like, fuck my life. Like, just look at what came out in 2010 if you need proof. Like, 2010 was uh, Flying Lotus, Cosmogramma, and Waves put up King of the Beach, um, Arcade Fire... It was it was a great year. I mean, it was a great year for music. I think twenty ten and for like punk especially, um, bringing it back to like our world a bit. But yeah, I think I think mainly where I think about that is just when I even think about somebody that says, you know, like oh, I don't know if there's been good music since you know nineteen ninety five. I'm not like that. And I'm, it's I'm like, not like that. you know. But it's like, and mainly it's like what I try and push against. Like, yeah, I find myself listening to a lot of the same things. And I think like once we get a certain age, that's just going to happen. But I think that it's good for anybody and not saying that you don't do it to just kind of like push against the notion that like music was, was better. Oh, I don't think it was at all. I'm not like that. Like. I have I have a top twenty records that came out in twenty twenty one. Like I I keep myself really current. Um, that saying that out loud makes me sound so fucking old. <laughs> I keep myself current on the artists of today. But no, I mean like if you want to talk about twenty twenty one, like you can't talk about it without talking about Viagra Boys or Black Midi or Squid mm-hmm. or Black Country New Road. I mean, there's so many bands that are pushing this shit forward. And it's almost like it's almost um, too much with the amount of innovation that's happening because having to like delve into all these like new sounds. I mean, Spirit of the Beehive is another one. It's like all these bands that are just really, really pushing their genres to to the ceiling and in some ways beyond. It's it's a lot. It's a lot to keep up with, and I think music right now is more exciting than it's been in years. So no, I definitely push against the philosophy. They say when you turn 32, that's the average time that you stop listening to new music. But I don't, I don't yeah. think that'll ever happen with me and music and film. I feel like with film especially, I'll keep looking back, and I'll, and with music, I'll keep looking forward and just trying to discover new things and find new catharsis. Um, this is what I love, and yeah, I'm with you. Ronner Park was another yeah. record that came out in 2010. But it, it's a, I mean, it's, it's a good record. Yeah. You can't. You, it's a great yeah. record, and I and I, I was just listening to it when I was on the elliptical the other day, and it's like, 
that record is an incredible display of hardcore through the ages first half being modern second half being 80s tinged but there have been great hardcore records since then i mean i think even ceremony has made great records since that point like zoo i felt like was even better to me personally Zoo's great. and i feel like i've i've gone back on l-shaped man and it's like finally really clicking like i'll hear it and it in my head it's like what is like this cure song it's like i don't think it sounds like cure but it's like it hits me in a way that i'm like oh what is this and then i'm like oh shit you know so that's kind of fun too like revisiting things that you kind of like like what's funny to think about at the time not to talk about ceremony too long was like that wasn't a popular i mean it was popular in terms of it was on matador but people didn't like l-shaped man when it came out like no the, like a lot of critics kind of panned it you know like what those numbers actually look like i i don't know but like it wasn't you know so it'd be interesting to see like if people even like reassess that point of their career at some point which i think probably is kind of happening and then maybe eventually catch up with like the last record which i thought was really good too <laughs> yeah i i so. like that record um ceremony are in a lot of ways like the gorillas of hardcore because i'm just kidding they're, they're nothing like no no well but i think that they are willing because i think like damon could have easily just kept being blur guy and like while it's still called ceremony it's like they are very willing to not just do the same thing. Like people say that all the time, we don't want to do the same thing, and then they put out a new record and it kind of sounds the same. And that's fine. But Ceremony does not do that. And I think like they almost like, it's like a reset every time they do it. And it's it's probably like not the smartest thing in terms of like, it doesn't, I don't think it makes it easy for them doing that, you know, like kind of resetting every time, but I appreciate it so much every time that, that it's like a record that you didn't expect them to make completely. For sure. And also you could argue in some ways that it would be more difficult for them to not reset because if that's what they want to do and that's what they want to make, then like why force ceremony into like, into like a hardcore shaped jar when like all they want to do is, is do their new wave stuff. And the new wave stuff's awesome. Yeah, I'd be sad. Yeah, I'd be... I'd feel... It'd be really sus now if they just did, like, a power violence record. You know, like, I'd be like, what happened? Yeah, like... Yeah, like, it's like... There's a lot of bands I could name that I'm not... I'm gonna choose not to cipher them live on air. But I just wish that, like, people would embrace more change in their... In, in their creative process. And it's like, sure, people are gonna expect a record that you can fucking mosh to and... You know, if, if, if people aren't going to do karate moves at the release show for this next record, is it even my band? You know, but I think it's important yeah. to, like, embrace the the change that kind of comes to people. Because if you're, if you're telling me that you grew up listening to Charles Bronson when you're in high school, and all you want to make until you're 40 is records that sound like the Youth Attack 10-inch by Charles Bronson, then I just, I just don't yeah. believe you. I just don't fucking believe you. Mm-hmm. So... You're either holding on to something that you should let go of, and or you, or you should or you should listen to your your inner child, listen to your inner voice. Like what what kind of progression do you want to make today? And I think ceremony is a great example yeah. of the freedom that you can allow yourself in the creative process. Yeah, and I guess before I let you go, uh, you know, I really got to bring up the record that you are currently promoting in some fashion so dollar signs put out a new record hearts of gold and march 12 2021 
on Pure Noise Records. So I will say I was very excited for y'all when you got on Pure Noise um, and very lucky that we got to do a little tour with you all and super appreciate it to this day. And, you know, like, that's kind of all the accolades I have. (laughs) I've ran out of nice things to say to you, Dylan. That, that's entirely okay. Honestly, we we could talk about we could talk about dollar signs um, anytime. But yeah, um, Hearts of Gold now streaming uh, and yeah. for sale at the Pure Noise Records website. But um, you know, as the world continues to to happen, uh, I don't know if we'll have any tour to promote. If this episode comes out before the fest, then we're playing the fest. How does like? I guess hip hop rap or you know how how does that influence like how you approach anything in dollar signs and does it it actually yeah i would say that it absolutely does um so eric button who's the main main songwriter he is also really into rap music and we're really into the same stuff i would say he's definitely not as into the gorillas specifically as i am but generally we we walk in step with each other on most most rap music and i feel like the way Eric approaches his songs from a storytelling and wordplay perspective definitely comes from a from a hip hop mindset. And a lot of the production that I did on Hearts of Gold definitely leans more into what I feel is kind of like the the sort of mixing like a lot of the mixing is like all over the place and like there's a lot of samples on the record and there's even like uh two different hip-hop beats on the record used as like interludes and we recorded like a full track interlude or i'm sorry we recorded a full band interlude track um you know between negative blood and bong hammer where we were just yelling a hook into a microphone with drum beats there's an interlude track on the record called comedy of errors that's not listed on the track list but it's between uh tracks two and three negative blood and bong hammer where, you know, there's a hip-hop beat, a sound clip from a video game, and then it goes straight into a gang vocal shout-along chorus with a drum beat. And we really just wanted the record to embody, like, all the things we're inspired by, from hardcore to hip-hop, and really just try and um, push whatever our brand of pop-punk is to its inevitable conclusion. Um, That sounds really pretentious. But <laughs> I would say that uh, we were just really having as much fun as we could with the record. And all I can really hope that people get from it is hearing, like, the best friends in the world having the best time ever in the studio. Just putting together this absolutely psychotic pop-punk record that never stops. Yeah, I but I like the idea in Dollar Signs that, like, I mean, if you all kind of view yourselves like, let's say predominantly you live like as a pop punk band, because that's what the world perceives you as. But but there are a lot of elements that it's like you don't feel like you always have to live there. No, I, I don't you feel know, like, like we it's, have to. Yeah. I feel like we started really as like a folk punk band, which, you you know, because we've, we've been doing this together for so long. But I think I think our folkier sound and, you know, a bit more experimental stuff will probably come later. I feel like we're maybe we'll ceremony ourselves into another genre um it's certainly possible I, I we just kind of like to view this project as something that's sort of limitless in terms of what our own dreams are for it because like you know playing in a playing in a band 
like ours where we are niche micro celebrities and it doesn't pay our bills or anything like that. You know, it's all a dream, right? It's all just like, it's not real. So we can really do whatever we want. And I think that touching again on the creative freedom, there's really nothing better than knowing that like you can work on a canvas and not have like a magnet pulling you in any direction because we can really just do whatever we want. And that's something that I've always appreciated about being in dollar signs. Um, Eric is a great collaborator. Like I said, he's the main songwriter and um, working together with him and the, and the rest of the band to craft these songs is just uh, it's just really a good time because there are no limits to what we'll do. Yeah. What, one thing I've, I've said before on this podcast is like sometimes you don't have to like put a cowboy hat on something for someone to like think it's like you know a country song it's like you're just going to kind of write a song the way that you're going to write it and then people are going to put you in whatever box that they're going to put you in so it's like you don't have to start kind of like feeding that notion that's what what i'm saying is that's what i like about dollar signs is that while people probably will you know in a in a review or whatnot will say like this is pop punk you don't have to 100 percent live there yet you know it, it, it is what it is I, I i like that about like any sort of art now it's like especially with like the last year that we've been through it's like just do what you want <laughs> you know it's like what i've kind of you know and i like that about the dollar signs record i i've learned to love that about even the gorillas record so i appreciate you you know convincing me to experience it well i really appreciate you saying that um that look, I'm the kind of person where if you if you lend me your ear for a record, I'll uh, I'll talk to you about it throughout its runtime. I just I'm very passionate about this stuff, and I really appreciate you having me and talking to me about this record. That means a lot to me, and hopefully uh, might mean a lot to you, listener, if you decide to check it out or if you already do like it. Welcome back. Thanks again to Dylan Walkman for coming on the pod. Please check out the newest album by Dollar Signs, that's Hearts of Gold, out now on Pure Noise Records. Also, if you live in Charlotte, go see them at Neighborhood Theater for their album release party on October 27th. Or, if you're going to Fest, please check out their set. Okay, next week is a big one. We're chatting with Brian Venable of the band Lucero. We're talking about Marvin Gaye's 1971 album, What's Going On. Seriously, so excited about this guest. Lastly, don't forget to check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod. Follow us on social media. That's Twitter and Instagram at spinningoutpod. Rate, review, and subscribe wherever you do that sort of thing. Thanks, as always, to Sarah Blumenthal for editing the pod and Pretty Maddie for the theme. Okay, see you next week. <laughs>